Hash House and Circle Up. Welcome to On On, the Hash House Harrier podcast for interviews, history, and stories. I'm your host, Ra. Today on the podcast, we are in Leith. If you don't know, that is in Scotland, near Edinburgh. It's morning in Toronto and afternoon there. Welcome, long-time Asher, Big Mac. Hi. Thank you. Big Mac, let's introduce you with your hatching origin story. When, where, how did you get to your first hatch? The when and the where, I can remember the how or the why, I'm not too sure about. Uh, I work for a large international oil company beginning with S and ending in L. And I had been posted from Scotland down to London in 1975. There I met up with some people who presumably persuaded me to go on the hash. So my first hash was the Surrey hash. I think they like to be known, sorry, we're Surrey. And yeah, I started running with them in 1976, I think round about the time of their 100th run, I had some great times in the Surrey countryside and we had some away hashes as well up in the north of England. There's uh, quite a few little anecdotes I can suggest, but that is the answer to your question, when and where and how. The, the people who I probably owe my uh, initial hashing to are uh, John Cunningham, who uh, was a colleague in Shell. Oops, I mentioned the name. This, of course, predates the use of hash names in certainly in the UK. And another one was Tony Webb. At the same time, Eric the Viking, known by other names, was also in the Surrey hash. So he and I first met back then. And sadly, as he passed away up here in Edinburgh earlier this year. Okay. You mentioned a few of the oil guys. Who else was on Surrey hash there? What kind of makeup was the hash? There probably weren't more than about 30 regular hashers back in those days. The, the guy called Jerry Gurney, who was a longtime hasher out in the Far East, he had returned to the UK and was very instrumental in activating the Surrey hash. But I think the originator was a guy called Jim Raper, who also has a rather checkered uh, career. Have you heard of him? I think I've heard that name. Okay. Jim was a, a rather wealthy man, uh, perhaps more wealthy than was good for him. Just to go to the end of the story first, he eventually became a wanted financial criminal um, and had to leave the UK. But for the time he was uh, on the Surrey hash, he was extremely generous with his money, except when it came to buying rounds in the pub, when he always seemed to mysteriously have forgotten his wallet. And he wasn't Scottish. No, he wasn't. No, but one of the, one of the, the more memorable uh, events, if I can move to that now, if you'd like to hear it, he had a Jim Raper. I think he made his money in textiles among other things out in the far East Hong Kong, places like that. Anyway, he had a Philip, he had a house in Surrey in the very wealthy neighborhood. I think it was probably called St. George's Hill. He actually had Filipino servants in this house and black swans in a swimming in the, in his lake, but he hosted a run from his place one time where we set off and hadn't run more than a few meters, well, let's say 50 meters. We ran around the corner straight into the back of a furniture van. The, the furniture van doors were then shut and the pack was then taken to a remote location where we'd no idea where we were. And then the trail was from there back to his property where uh, we were royally entertained, fed and watered for the rest of the afternoon. But that was my first 
Pash non-standard event. That's he fun. was behind that. That's great. What about the pack in terms of running? Was everybody a runner then? Um, yeah, I think so. I don't remember there being a walkers uh, group. So I think we were all runners. There was one guy I, whose name I forget, but it was an old sounding name like Hector or Horace or something like that, who was in his 80s back then and still running. A lot of them were young, uh, like myself, because I would have been in my, I was in my 20s back then. So we ran, I don't think we ran particularly long trails maybe four or five miles to use the imperial measures. Surrey was well suited to hashing. It's got lots of nice woods and lanes. And after the run, a zinc bath was produced and beer and ginger beer were mixed in this bath. And then you just basically had a, your own mug or a, a, a teacup or something. And you just basically dipped into this top. And, and then afterwards we would, I don't remember there being circles as such. But we would certainly usually end up in a local hostelry where several more pints of beer would be consumed. And this is at a time as well when drink driving was, shall we say, not observed fully. You mentioned the outstation runs. When did yeah. the awareness of hashes, other clubs in the UK and beyond the UK entry? In, in the hash genome, of course, I have to defer to our mutual friend here, Hazukini, who does all the history. Surrey must have been one of the early ones, but I, I, there were other London hashes around at that time that we would occasionally hook up with. I'm thinking it was one in Chessington or somewhere. There was certainly a London, a city, maybe not the city hash, but a West London hash. I don't think we were aware at that time of anything outside of the London area as a group. We would, we did home in on a Yorkshire as a great place to go to for away weekends, somebody must have had that bright idea. And we tended to go to the same pub where we were cautiously welcomed. On one of those weekend, away weekends, I discovered uh, that I suffer from claustrophobia because the hare laid the trail through some potholes. So we were basically in water, in caves, uh, that got progressively narrower and more and more alarming to me anyway. But I think that was probably John Cunningham that was the guilty party there. Another name I can throw at you was Tony Webb. I think Tony is still hashing actually in London. John not so because he's had some knee and hip problems. So I think he's hung up his boots. What about the time of day? Did you get trails that took you into the evening and torches come out? Yeah, we, we certainly did. And, and I don't remember if they were, that wasn't the standard uh, practice. It was definitely a, a lunchtime. The idea was that you would hash, I think, late morning, and then you would end up in the pub at lunchtime, but we did do night hashes and we used to use little fluorescent devices that you would stick in the ground. I'm sure they must've had some radioactive material in them. And then we'd go back and it was really, when I was thinking about this, uh, of course, you might be asking me, how did we get notified about next week's trail and the hairline? And the answer was that somebody went to the trouble of typing out a sheet on a typewriter, of course, back then, and then putting it through a Gestetner machine. They also photocopied the section of the OS map, Ordnance Survey map, with a little arrow hand added, pointing to where we were supposed to meet. This thing was then folded. It was on yellow paper. And it was then folded in three, put with a little seal on it and a stamp, and, and, and then sent to us through the post. And I've actually kept a few of those because they also used to be sources of great jokes. They would put jokes on these, which I found useful when I was traveling the world for my joke repertoire. That was how we got notified. We had a three peaks race in Surrey once where we 
Sorry, it's not known for its mountains, but yeah, there were three hills, Leith Hill, Box Hill. What was the third one called? Um, blah, can't remember. Funny, oddly enough, one of them was called Leith Hill. And that was long before I ever lived in this part of the world. And yes, I, that was a half marathon, which I set out with the intention of not completing, but after having a couple of beers halfway around, I seemed to gain enough strength to complete it. That was my one and only half marathon. How were the hairs? Treating the laying of the trail ahead of time, live with the run with yeah. the pack. Again, it was a mixture. I mean, mo I would say most of the time it was laid in advance, but just occasionally we would have a live hair, particularly if, if there was somebody who was particularly fit. So yeah, so m maybe one in 20 trails would be a live hair. How long did it take you before you set a trail or got involved in organizing any weekends or events? In Surrey, I certainly laid uh, a number of trails. So uh, given that I probably only did about 50 or 60 runs with Surrey, I can certainly remember one trail where I committed the, the usual sin of laying a figure of eight trail, not terribly well, so that people ended up uh, taking the wrong route. But I, so I would say probably within three or four months, I was happy enough to lay a trail and then I would do my share of trail laying. When did you leave Surrey and where'd you go? And what was your next hash? Okay. I moved up to uh, Aberdeen after Surrey um, because I worked for an Anglo-Dutch company. I did find myself in Holland from time to time. I was up in Aberdeen. There didn't seem to be at that time an Aberdeen hash. I think Aberdeen hash started in something like 88, in the early 80s. But I do have a, I do distinctly recall running once in Aberdeen. So there must've been an Aberdeen hash that predated the history that they know of the Aberdeen hash. It may have been a bunch of expats who just set a, a one-time trail up in Aberdeen. Over on my trips over to Holland, there was definitely a hash in The Hague in that period. And I do remember running with them. In fact, yeah, we'll come to that later because I did live in Holland. <laughs> Where did you live next that there was a regular hash? There's, let me fill in the blanks here because there is quite a gap. I left the UK in 1981 for Argentina. That was my first expat assignment with the company. If you know your uh, 20th century history, then you'll be aware that 1982 was the year in which there was a bit of a, an issue between the UK and Argentina. So my, my assignment, my four year assignment to Argentina was over in about nine months. There was certainly no hash in Buenos Aires that I became aware of at that time. I was then evacuated, so to speak, to the Netherlands where there was a hash in The Hague and I did run with The Hague, but that was a temporary affair. In 1983, I found myself in Bolivia, in La Paz, at 4,000 meters. There was no hash there, probably just as well at that altitude, but I did do some running up there. And of course, if you could run at 4,000 meters and then go down to sea level, you can leap tall buildings down in, in Lima. Then La, pa La, La Paz did get a hash eventually. I it know did, maybe, I gather. Yeah. Maybe it was with the rugby club. Mm -hmm. I think drove that. Or rugby players drove that. Okay. I remember my first, the one and only flight out of Europe that went to La Paz was Lufthansa. And it flew all over the world before it got to La Paz and arrived at La Paz in the middle of the night. And I can remember being driven down from the airport to the hotel and seeing people running up the hill to the airport, which was, was just remarkable because it was quite a steep hill and at that altitude. Uh, so I'm really quite surprised no Bolivian has won the, uh, any particular long distance running because you'd have thought they would be like the, the Africans in that respect. 
So after La Paz, I went to Colombia and spent four years there. Now there, again, no hash, too dangerous back in the 80s, unless you ran. If I went anywhere, I had to have a bodyguard. Hashing was really out of the question. I know there's a hash out there now, of course. Uh, I, I, I was signed up to go to the uh, America's Interhash uh, in Medellin, which uh, in the end I didn't have. Hasn't yet happened. But getting to the answer to the question that you originally asked me from Bogota, I moved to Santiago in Chile in 98. Um, and there was a thriving hash at that time, unknown to the current Santiago hashers because they, they, they proudly announced their formation date sometime in the nineties, I think. So I corrected them on that. So it must've died uh, at some point, but certainly we were a good hash again. It's a good place to go hashing. It's hilly. Of course, we get four seasons in the year. It was, there was a, a good, healthy mix of expats, locals, dogs, <laughs> and we would there, we would up the home would traditionally be in somebody's house. So it would turn into a barbecue in an afternoon session. We had away weekends there down in, in at various locations, usually where there was a vineyard close by. Yeah. So over the three years I was there, I was a, a, a stalwart of that hash. Did that hash have locals on it? Yes, it did. Probably locals with an English connection because bits of South America, you've got an Anglo community, people who go to British schools, that sort of thing. So yeah, they maybe they'd be middle-class British educated, perhaps locals. <laughs> yeah. Everything was done in English completely yeah. in, in yeah. English culture. What about the expat community, both in Colombia and Santiago, were they big? Like more than oil? Oh, yes. In Colombia, there, there was enough of an expat community to support a British club, which had lots of sporting facilities, rugby, cricket, the usual things that Brits abroad enjoy. Though a lot of us were in oil because Colombia was quite prospective. Shell and others were there. There were other expats, but a lot of the, there were quite a lot of Brits there who had made their home in Colombia. They had gone out there perhaps with an insurance company, perhaps with some other company, met a, a rather lovely Colombian lady and just married her and stayed. And to be honest, I don't blame them. It's a beautiful country. I'm going to give them a plug. It's the one country that my wife and I lived in where we seriously considered staying. We had two children born there. It's a great place with two Pacific and Atlantic coasts. You've got jungle, you've got snow covered mountains, you've got amazing food and the people are magnificent. Now in Santiago, Chile, I was there having just narrowly escaped to Argentina. I arrived in Chile at the time of Pinochet, General Pinochet and his regime, but Shell and other companies were quite enthusiastic about investing in Chile because he had Pinochet for all his uh, faults and he had lots of them, had recognized that uh, the military were no good at running in the economy. They had taken some serious medicine and opened up to foreign investment and Shell and others were trying to get there to beat the rush. So there was a lot of Australian investment. The Americans were a little more cautious, of course, because they still didn't feel that welcome <laughs> in Chile and didn't wish to invest in Chile. Uh, Pinochet was uh, in charge, um, but uh, other companies did. There was a good mix, a good expat community, uh, multinational, probably certainly more multinational than, than it was in, 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 in Colombia. 
I, I haven't been to either Columbia or Chile. The people I do some work with at University of Texas Medical Center, though, I have a colleague from right. Columbia I collaborate with, and one of those couple main researchers, and a bunch of Chilean connections. So they're down, they're heading to Santiago tomorrow. Well, so hopefully I'll get back, I'll get down there to visit them at some yeah. point. When you were there, from what you remember, how similar and what were the differences to hashing in Surrey? Well, I got named in Santiago because up until that oh. point, I didn't have a name. It was, I don't think, whereas now we try to find a suitably toxic name to give somebody. In those days, uh, it was a little tamer. So Big Mac is hardly anything. And my surname is Mackie, so the Mac comes from there. Yes, there is a hamburger connection, but that's about it. I don't think there was a huge difference between hashing in, in Santiago and hashing in Surrey. Nothing is immediately springing to mind. It was more British than American, if I can put it to you like that, you know. <laughs> I think you'll know the difference. What about your involvement apart from Herring? Do you remember how they changed over? Were people, the organizers, mismanagement until they left or how'd that work? Yeah, no, I think, you know, I don't remember us having, there were certainly changes at the top. I think it was, thankfully, there was no over-organization of anything and no elections were held, but I think people just took turns. Volunteers were called for to do the hair raising and the organize events and what have you. I think embassy people, uh, not, as my father used to say, they, they lived a charmed existence because they tended to have more time off than us chaps and, chap and ladies working for uh, commercial companies. So there was usually a, a dependence on people from the embassy who would also do things like photocopying and that stuff. Yeah. Did they have regular write-ups too? And photo were they taking pictures? Yeah, there was definitely pictures being taken. Don't remember the write-ups. There must have been though, I think. Yeah. But there was certainly photos because I've still got a bunch of photos from there and I didn't take them. So somebody else must have done. And yeah, certainly of the, and of the away weekends, they were well uh, documented and well supported. Almost everybody went on those. It was just a great time to get together and get out of the city. And because Santiago was pretty polluted, so it was nice to get some fresh air. <laughs> Even then, when you arrived in Santiago, that stop after Columbia, had your kids been born then? Yeah, we had one daughter born in Holland and two kids born in Colombia, twins. And they all became known affectionately as the Minimax, because I'm Big Mac. So they're Minimax and my grandchildren are known as Micromax. And when, were they able to go on hashing trails? Yeah, they all got their hash t-shirts, which of course have to be specially ordered for them, their size. So the three of them would come on hash with us quite often. I would have one on my back. My wife would have one on her back. And Elsa, the elder of the two would be, I'm not going to say running, but she'd certainly be walking briskly. But there were lots of people to look after the kids as well. That was the other great thing was that you've never worried about somebody to look after the kids. Plus we had staff, as you could imagine, who were always bemused by the hash because they couldn't quite, they never quite got it. You know? Yeah. What about the circles there? Did they have circles singing? They had, yeah, I think we sang, I think we sang basically swing low, sweet chariot. There wasn't much else to the hash repertoire other than that. Yeah. That's and where all. to next? Then after Chile, I went to Puerto Rico where there was no hash. But I did uh, manage to find a hash in Barbados and managed to go running with them a few times on holiday. We then, so four years there, another big gap here, because I then was posted to Moscow 
where uh, there was a hash, but I really couldn't make it because it was starting too early. Again, catering, I think, to embassy staff in the main. And so I think I managed to only do one or two hashes there, but it just, it, it was difficult. The time now, after my four years in Moscow, we're, we're around about 1990, is that right? No, 95. And then I went to India, to New Delhi, where there was a hash. And I did do some hashing there in that period. But again, it was intermittent. I didn't spend long in India on that occasion. Pro, I think it was something like, it was under two years. And then I was posted to Bangladesh, where I, such was my desire to go hashing that I went to those two hashes there, a mixed hash and the men's hash. I joined them both and I ran every run, did every away weekend <laughs> with them for the next four years. I, I have a lot of hashing in Dhaka. Yeah, I have, I have friends that were both in Moscow and plenty that were in Dhaka who mm -hmm. were, and let me just see if any of these people were overlapping with you. There were two school teachers, Phantom and Shadow. Oh, I, know right? those, I know those names. Yes. They're retired now. They're in I... the villages in Florida, that retirement crazy community. Oh, okay. Sexually yeah. transmitted disease skyrocket. But she was RA of uh, the mixed hash, I think. And Dave was probably on the night runners too. Yeah. And I know the t-shirt guy, the banquet chicken, because everybody's a t-shirt guy out there. And yeah, um, they're all in the business. And uh, there was one guy called, oh dear, Sharia is his real. Yeah. Actually, I went on buying t-shirts from him for years afterwards. He's in Orlando half the year now too. That, I understood. I understood that he was. Yes. I know him well. He's, yeah, oh. I need to interview him. He'll hear yeah. this. So, okay. yeah, he'll enjoy hearing from you. Yeah. Asan uh, he, Korea. Yeah. What's his hash name? Ch um, oh, it's going to annoy me now. Okay. Or, I, it may come to me. Or I, no, I can't believe I can't chicken, come There's a word. Is it not chicken? Is there not a chicken in it? Have you? Yeah. yeah okay. Anyway. I'll, tall, I'll look that up and put it back in here. There's tall man, Gailey. There was, of course, English among the, these are the lo lots of local hashers. The Bangladesh hash was very different in the sense that you could take all the expats away and it would still function perfectly. Yeah. I guess a lot of those guys who were there then maybe have become quite wealthy because of the change in the real estate market. Oh I yeah. Like a lot of the hashers bought little flats that turned yeah, into yeah. multi million. Mm -hmm. You bet. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, Delhi boy. Yes. Delhi boy. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. He's also yeah. a Surrey. Yeah, that's right. Asher, well, retired from the, well, I don't know if he's still The mixed hash had a tradition of only having female grandmasters, grand mattresses, we used to call them. So there was a Sarah Street of Nijinsky was her name. She was the initial grand mattress. But I was on that committee. I got myself involved with that. Then we had two school teachers, adult American school teachers. Was that not Phantom and Shadow? No, but I, the, the, she, I, ah, Challenger and Panisse. Yeah, Penice and Challenger, yep. I'm still I named them in Cairo. Oh I no. named them okay. in Cairo. Yeah. Oh wow. So do you know Bankrupt from Cairo? Was Bankrupt in Cairo at the same at that time? Yeah. I they know Bankrupt very well. We were on the committee. I was the RA at Cairo for fourteen years. Oh, okay. So everybody who came through as GM was under my thumb a little while. Well, oh. They won't agree to that. No, we had a really good high five. It was a well ba bankrupt. Bankrupt was on the Dhaka hash as well. Of course, you may be aware yeah, when yeah. he was working for oh, American yeah. Express Bank. I'm still in touch with him too. And yeah. the other girl was called Ichiban. She was a very tall American girl, penis's friend. They still meet up. I know in the States, uh, she's now retired to California somewhere. And uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah. 
All right. So you got involved in the committee. What posts did you hold in? Well, I used to, I, because the because the grand mattress was was a female. Then the, they had a sort of deputy dog, and that used to be. And I did that role. I did treasurer. I, I did RA. Yeah. So I, it's I was revolving door of committee memberships over those four years. But the you, I actually did two expat rotations in Dhaka and two in India. So there's a postscript to both those stories, which we can get on to. Yeah. Just fill them in. We don't have to go in order. Yeah. Okay. What, what, what are oh. some good stories from that part? Okay. Oh, gosh, good stories from there. Let me see now. I've actually, the, uh, I made myself a couple of notes here just to remind myself. Oh, perfect. Yeah. That's where to go. Yeah. Dhaka. Oh my God. I remember in Dhaka, because the running Dhaka is one, is a rather large sprawling city. So in town, there weren't that many, oh, wake it up. There were out of town trails. Now I'm thinking about it, but in town, we did tend to run the back streets, the alleyways. Then we would usually end up in one of the expat clubs there because you can't get beer anywhere other than that, or in a five-star hotel where I'm not sure hashers would be welcome. Although the manager of the Sheraton was a hasher, it should be said. We had the amazing monsoon problem there of the monsoon rain. Supposed to monsoon drain, who you probably know. Uh, the, and we had some extreme weather there. Yeah, apart from the rain, we had golf balls the size of hills, uh, hailstones the size of golf balls. And uh, I remember on one run where, uh, you know, people were getting injured. We had to deal with a lot of sewage, of course, because it wasn't the healthiest of places back then. We tended to do our away weekends in one of two places. We'd either go up to the tea gardens, the tea plantations in the north, which are absolutely gorgeous. They are so green and, and pleasant compared to Dhaka, or we'd go to the longest beach in the world, which is Cox's Bazaar that uh, runs up on the coast of Dhaka up towards what is now Myanmar. And of course, Dhaka had great pretensions of uh, hosting Interhash at one time. Like we, we always volunteered, but never somehow got the job, but they always sent a good, strong contingent to Interhashes to, uh, yeah. So that was it. That did you own a boat there yourself? No, but uh, the American teachers did. Yeah, uh, I know Phantom and yeah. Shadow had a boat. Oh, okay, yes. In fact, the they fact bought it from a hasher. They left, sold it to a hasher. They sold it, I think, to, to Penis and Challenger, I'm sure. Or, or oh, my God. Certainly yeah. to, because, yes, I'm sure they did. And, and Itchy Bum, yeah. We would regularly float up and down the river on that boat with some hashing distractions. But most of the time, we're just sitting on the boat, uh, relaxing, uh, drinking too much. Yeah. That was great fun. Did you get to big events, regional events during that? I di didn't. I was signed up to go to the Tasmania International. Was that 2000? 2000. 2000. But we, unfortunately, we ha I, the company I was working for, we had a major incident at that time, uh, a blowout, which you don't like if you're drilling for oil and gas. I had to cancel those plans. Believe it or not, I've never made it to an Interhash. I've done a Pan-Africa in Cape Town. I did, I've done a couple of Indian Nashes, Iberian Nash Hashes that we'll come to. And yeah, obviously the UK, I've done a few and the Neuro Hashes, I've done a few of those, but no Inter Hashes to my shame. Yeah. There's a chance you met my wife. She's a little bit younger. She was at Cape Town, H2O. I went to Vic Falls, the only African one. It was actually fairly difficult to get from Egypt to Africa. Egypt doesn't consider themselves Arabs nor Africans yeah. okay. <laughs> to go to Vic Falls actually flew to London. Wow. And it was okay. easier that way. I went to Pan-African because I did actually run with the Cape Town. I, I did have an assignment to Cape Town. So I'm leaping ahead here. Wow. After my four years in Dhaka, 
I was posted to Dubai with Shell and I ran sometimes with the desert hash there. My job at that time involved a lot of traveling. Dubai was just a, basically a base for me. I didn't have any business in Dubai, but I got to know the airport really well and flew all over the Middle East and into Russia and Turkey and, and you know, places like that. Egypt, <laughs> where I ra ran with the Cairo hash with uh, Adrian with Bankrupt on one occasion. Because the weekend is Friday, Saturday, I think in Dubai, I wasn't always there in for the hash because I would might be working in somewhere else. Yeah, so right. I didn't do a lot of hashing, but in, in Dubai, when I did some, but I didn't like the job and the job didn't like me. And at the age of 53, it was suggested to me that my 30 years service with the company might translate into a, a suitable pension. Uh, so I, I took the money and ran at that point, I, I retired. And so I initially came back to the UK but quickly exited to Spain because I didn't want to become a UK tax resident. And I started a hashing career in Spain, which we'll come back to as well. Then for about a year, I was on what is known as gardening leave. So where the company continued to pay your salary because they want to try and find you a job. Really. They didn't really want me to go, but they, no suitable jobs came up over that period. So at the end of that year, uh, I, I, oh, oh, during that year, while you're on gardening, leaving, being paid to stay at home, basically. You're meant to make yourself available for any jobs that come along that need short term, not full expat assignments, auditing work, whatever it might be. And a job came up in Cape Town right at the end of my gardening leave. And I thought, well, that's, that sounds nice. I'll go there. So I said, okay, sure. I'll go and do some work for you in Cape Town. So I spent three months uh, in Cape Town and ran with both hashes there. And that was why I, I then later on went back to the Pan-Africa hash because I'd made so many good friends in Cape Town that I, I wanted to go out and, and do the Pan-Africa. What was the life like in Cape Town safety-wise? It, it yeah. can be a kind of dodgy place yeah. in my neighborhood. Kind yeah. Of. yeah, I don't, I, I, I feel threatened. Don't forget, I'd worked in some pretty dreadful places. So, you know, my, uh, uh, compared to some of the places I'd been in, it seemed very safe. I knew which bits of Cape Town to avoid and, and the hash was careful to, to avoid them as well. I didn't have any issues there at all. Nice. Any of the people there, especially? I, there was a guy, company in his hash name, but he might've been called something like Newbury or something. He was, he had a Dutch, of course, African sounding name, not African sounding, but his hash name was African sounding for some strange reason. I can't remember why. And there was a guy who was definitely a baker. He was quite, he would come alone and with his wares. Yeah. It was a small pack there. What was interesting about Cape Town was the hash was really looked down upon because South Africans are so fit. They didn't think of the hash as being, as being anything other than just a drinking club. So you, we didn't attract runners, <laughs> but the trails were good. And having run in Santiago, I was well accustomed to running up and down hills. And there were certainly plenty of those in, in Cape Town. That's it for episode one and the first 25 years of Big Mac's hashing. We'll be back with episode two for the most recent 20 years of hashing with Big Mac. On, on. To close the circle, here's the hash anthem sung by Mother Hash. Swing low, sweet child. 